Hey, welcome back. It's the 90th episode of the Opfat Cast, and we're rolling with the skeleton crew today. I am Steve Cuff, and I've got Sean Glennis with me. Hey. And Adam Myros. You know, the less the merrier, I always say. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, any any opportunity we get to, to cut out Jack and Jake, I, I think, is a win, a big victory for me. Absolutely. Both on a personal and professional level. Uh, well, I mean, we, we basically had to do an episode because one, we've been running Bond content nonstop to try and get ready for the release of the new James Bond movie, which they were gracious enough to push back for us. Um, so my plan to spread the coronavirus throughout Asia and now the United States is successful and we have more breathing room with our podcast schedule. So you're welcome, guys. Mm hmm. And of course, we've, it's you know we're not we're not into spring slash summer movie uh, schedule quite yet, so that means we still have more Blumhouse to discuss. That's right. And, and we we have been blessed in the cinema because the only consistent force of good in your local multiplex is Blumhouse. There is nothing else. Fuck your Marvels, your Disney's, and all your major studios. There is only Blumhouse. And yeah, they gave us like two movies in two weeks. They're actually cannibalizing themselves, I think, by releasing back-to-back horror movies. Although I guess one of them is a PG-13, if I'm not mistaken, Fantasy Island. It is uh, PG-13, yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. hard. I, I never know with Blumhouse movies just because it's very rare that you get the hard R Blumhouse they're they're always kind of like tweeners where it could go either way so uh, for some reason Blumhouse decided that it was a good idea to develop and film an adaptation of beloved late 70s into the mid 80s television show Fantasy Island and for those of you who aren't familiar because you're not old and you didn't watch syndicated television in the early 90s. Uh, Fantasy Island was the show that came after The Love Boat, I think, in most TV schedules. But it, it sort of plays into the same realm that uh, Twilight Zone sort of was in, but less spooky, creepy, and more goofy. Uh, and basically every episode, same setup. You had... Uh, two storylines that never intersected and it was just they would go to the titular fantasy island whatever their fantasy was it would play out and they would learn some sort of moral lesson in the end about you know oh I want to be a rich guy now you're going to learn what being a rich guy is really all about uh, and then he, he gets health care and a 401k it's cool uh, <laughs> is this really did this show have this much of a monkey's paw edge I'm, it, dude, I, the whole I've thing. seen 
I, I feel like I must have seen 50 episodes of it as a, as a child, just like in the background in the middle of the day. But I, I always picture it almost exactly as like love boat, the exact same thing. It's just like their fantasy was to date on an Island. <laughs> yeah, no, th- that was the problem that I had too, because I was thinking about it and it took me a second to realize like, Oh, I guess it was, I mean, it wasn't always monkey's paw ish. It was, it was a little goofier and a little bit lighter, but I, I thought the same thing, and I think it's because it ran back to back with the love boat. So in my like soft child brain, I just smushed those two things together into one show that I didn't want to watch because <laughs> I was waiting for the A team to come on. But yeah, it, it's it's kind of a, a a weird reboot. Whatever they're they're not rebooting it, remaking it, it re- adapting it, whatever. Normally with things like this, it's something that has nostalgic value and is still sort of bubbling around in popular culture and that's not the case with fantasy island because it hasn't really been in syndication even even on like over the air you know like it's it's not running on that weird station you pick up with your your antenna that runs hogan's heroes and bonanza for nine like hours <laughs> yeah exactly it's it's not running on that or we have me tv in milwaukee i don't know if that's a thing but that's like, all they do it's like oh gilligan's island is on great i feel like uh tv land isn't what it was in the 90s i don't yeah. even remember this being on tv i remember this is like been. old school like before it was like fx before fx had any sort of programming to fill their airways yeah whatsoever. i mean we are this is there's a couple connections to this um property and uh while cuff is doing his due diligence to talk about this this you know where it comes from the show and whatnot i i think i thought we we were going to come at it at a different angle which was the interest of the crew and creative minds behind this one. Oh, we do we have the we have the greatest creative mind in all of cinema. It, and, uh, well, <laughs> I, I, I want to stop you there, Steve, because there's somebody who agrees with us that probably carries a bit more cultural cachet. His name's Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> and uh, according to Jeffrey Wadlow's uh, IMDb bio, Jeffrey Wadlow, the uh, director... Uh, uh, excuse me, auteur. W- w- I'll get there. Uh, of <laughs> Blumhouse's Truth or Dare, which we did a podcast on and is... Fine, one of the finer features of 2018. Uh, after Quentin Tarantino saw Jeff Wadlow's latest writing and directing, directing effort, Kick-Ass 2, he named it one of 2013's best films, stating it demonstrated a, quote, real auteur approach. <laughs> wow. Man, I yeah. love Jeffrey Wadlow, but I am not under any circumstance ever going to watch Kick-Ass 2. No. I'm sorry. Um but you, yeah. you got to draw a line, man. Yeah. But yeah, this was, uh, uh, but not only him, uh, I think that this brought back, uh, uh, one of the writers maybe. And, um, yeah, Jillian Jacobs and also Lucy Hale, the star of mm-hmm. Bloom House's True yeah. Theater. Uh, unfortunately the lighting crew seems to be, uh, more well-paid. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Well, I, I think I think the whole thing. I mean, it's mostly shot with natural light, so I, yeah, kind of, kind of works it out that way. But uh, he's he's really building a quite the 
the, the crew here for his films. And I, I hope he continues to carry these players and writers through to his uh, his next outing, whatever that yeah, may it's be. It's, he's, he's like a modern day Cassavetes, let's be honest. Yeah, but I, I think it is important to know, like, go into this. Well, first of all, watch Truth or Dare, Boom House Truth or Dare, uh, if you haven't watched that, because it's phenomenal. But it's it helps if you know what kind of vibe this is going to be going into it, you know, um, and prepare for the silliness that uh, is the register that they work in. Um, yeah, it's an important thing. Yeah, I, I honestly think like if you're trying to get into the world of, of Blumhouse and, and what their movies are all about, Truth or Dare is a great entry point. Um, if you watch that and you watch, I don't know, like maybe Paranormal Activity, just so you can get them being all serious business, and then this is their goofy side, then you kind of get the two the two sides of the of the Blumhouse coin. Uh, and, oh, Unfriended, of course, too. That's, that's another great choice. Uh, <clears throat> the weird thing about this is they're at this point where Blumhouse's whole thing, obviously, is they make really small movies that make a shitload of money. So uh, they, their budgets rarely exceed like five, ten million dollars, and they usually return tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's getting to the point where Jason Blum is doing the the eccentric rich guy move with his movies, and I'm excited to see where this comes from because so Jeff Wadlow, this whole idea that eventually became Fantasy Island. He was talking to his boss, Jason. It was just like, hey, you know, I got this uh, idea for a movie. It's kind of like that old show, Fantasy Island. You remember that? And he just gave him like a quick, like two minute elevator pitch. And then Jason Blum called him up and he's like, hey, good news. I just bought the rights to use the name <laughs> Fantasy Island. So you can make this movie now. And he was just like, okay, I guess it's the Fantasy Island movie. Nice. <laughs> Which is so, the best way for any movie. But it's again, it's crazy because this this isn't a show that's in syndication. I think only like the first two, maybe three seasons made it to DVD or available anywhere on streaming. And even if you try and stream it, because I, I wanted to go back and, and revisit a, a little bit of this just so I could be like, okay, like how does this connect to the show? If you go on Hulu, it's like random episodes from the first two seasons. It's all over the place. And this show ran from the late 70s all the way through the mid 80s. So there's there's got to be like 10 seasons of this shit. And it's it none of it's out there. Hmm. So, yeah, this is a show that no one remembers for anything other than, yeah, Ricardo Montalban right. and Hervé Villachez. Um, <laughs> yeah. But again, I, I I'm, I'm getting old, you know, I, I've remember this from syndication from when I was a small child and cable TV was like a, a barren wasteland of seventies reruns, but anyone, and, and this is a Bloomhouse PG 13 vehicle that is, you know, it's, it's geared toward teen viewership it, very much so. And, and yet it opens and closes with very direct specific references to this ancient tome that no, no one in the demographic could possibly have any idea what they're even referencing. Yeah. It's, <laughs> It's it's kind of odd. It's just like, yeah, here's a, a little little wink and a nod to this show that you've probably never even heard of. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, if if you were to do one of the like the little cinema score survey or whatever afterwards, if one of the questions on the on the viewer survey was, do you even know what the fuck Fantasy Island? It most people don't know. <laughs> no. I'd, have you ever seen an episode? Probably, maybe I don't know. If you're over thirty, you probably have caught at least a bit of it on television. But 
even then, who knows? It so yeah, look like a, your sixteen-year-old heading to the multiplex made of the the whole fucking tattoo outro like what the fuck would that make any sense whatsoever no no and and i'm sure we'll we'll talk more about that ending but uh it's it's kind of crazy because it's so stupid it is beautifully beautifully stupid for a little like you know wink and a nod outro but again if you have zero context for it it's probably the stupidest thing you've ever seen in a movie, which is saying a lot because this film has a lot of top contenders for that. So <laughs> we should say this is also um, uh, counter programming for Hol- uh, Valentine's Day. Came out on Valentine's Day. Um, which is- so yeah, you got a date. You either see Sonic the Hedgehog or you see Fantasy <laughs> Island. That's it. Yeah, and uh, it was uh, the budget is seven million. It's it's doubled that more than tripled it but um uh yeah yeah, and worldwide it's like it's it's approaching 50 i was worried that this had bombed because you don't see it's like gone from the top 10 at this stage and i was like oh no uh they're gonna torpedo wadlow but no it it did you can't keep it did what it needed you can't keep (laughs) a a duo like bloom and wadlow down nobody can (laughs) no can't do it can't do it what did we think of this yeah I think it's I think it's great. I also think yeah. it's a great Valentine's Day movie. You know, you you take your date. It's uh, it's thrilling. It's scary. It's fun, and uh, then you can you could head to the bedroom right afterwards and and share your share you your can, fantasies. You can you can head to the fantasy suite. Yeah, baby. I don't I don't need to go to Fantasy Island because my fantasy is uh, Smush Town with you on my futon. That's that's what you say, and it works every time, every single time. So, yeah, I I thought it was it's loads of fun. It it kind of it's weird the way it's structured because it <laughs> almost feels like it's going to play out as a like an anthology, like a horror anthology because it's got all these these different narratives that eventually converge but not really, like they're all very independent of one another and they're all stylistically different. Uh but it's not an anthology. Everything is is seamless. Um, but basically, yeah, these, these people land and they each, instead of the show where it's two separate fantasies, it's whatever it is, three, four, uh, individual ones that converge on each other. But yeah, you've got a guy who his fantasy is to play soldier with his dad, which is fucking lame. Um, you got a lady who her fantasy is love and a kid, I guess, uh, you got, two brothers who like to remind us that they're brothers even though one of them's asian and the other one's not but they're adopted but they still love each other or not adopted they're they're like stepbrothers or i don't know there's a whole thing but they just want to party a fucking a 1998 coors light commercial yeah that's that's which is a great fantasy to have and then there's the other girl who you think is a party girl and you think she's gonna have a party fantasy but no her her fantasy is uh, torture and revenge that's right which is it's a weird thing to hold on to uh hey maybe your maybe your fantasy should be therapy <laughs> bet you didn't think of that one uh so hers is a weird one and this kind of is uh gets into sort of like the, i guess the fun of of these movies is that like she just kind of wanted to get back at her virtually and then be done after like a couple minutes which is a weird fantasy to have uh, but it it allows uh, Wadlow and company to kind of 
get that mean streak out, which isn't as heavy here as it is in Truth or Dare. But um, no, that, that, this is much nicer. Yeah, but that that torture suit is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll take it over any Saw movie, and it, it seems like the way the way that it's structured again with each of these individual stories, it's almost like each one plays out like a like a mini yeah, episode you know, rip off Blumhouse movie or episode or an episode from the the, the Blumhouse TV show. Uh, right, truth. So or truth or dare. Uh, fucking what are those called? Into the dark. Into the dark. Into the dark. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like, oh, you want to play soldier? I'll show you what playing soldier is. Or you know, oh, you want to torture someone? Let's just do saw for fifteen minutes, but not terrible. And uh, I, I don't know what the brothers scene would be. But Project X is that their low budget equivalent? What was their fan- what was their fantasy? Weekend at Bernie's. Uh, their fantasy was just a, a sex romp. They wanted to have it oh. all. See, that's <laughs> and, uh... and having it all is an episode of Narcos. Yeah, they're pretty funny. One of them is Asian, right? And one of them is a white guy, goofy white guy. It is kind of like Weekend at Bernie's uh, without Bernie. It's just Weekend. Sounds Bernie. Just Weekend. Uh, yeah, those characters. <laughs> it, it is the direct analog to the Ronnie character in Truth or oh, Dare. Yeah. And one of the main <laughs> crimes in that film is that they... Of course, Ronnie was just there to be killed first, but but here are uh, our good boys, Brax and JD. Uh, they're with us uh, through the journey. It's, it's kind of yeah, it kind of has are. like a uh, dude where's my car kind of vibe to them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's just these dumb horn dog characters, which is uh, welcome in this sort of schlock to me. Endlessly amusing. Um, the soldier <laughs> stuff is great uh, and really funny. <laughs> That's one way to phrase it's, that. It's really funny. It, it's kind of one of the things about all of these different strands is like, and the movie in general is like, they have like some really good setup and like fun ideas. And then they just kind of, they don't end the way I want them to end. And like the movie in general just kind of like goes this direction that I, I was afraid the movie was going. Um, and it ended up doing that, that I, I just, it's not what I wanted out of this type of movie, but um, but that's okay, you know. I was I was actually I was all right with the twist, only because the entire time you're watching it, it's very clear. It's like, okay, well, we're gonna have our monkey paw moment here, and then also there's gonna be a twist to rue because you have to have a twist. And I was running through all these different options in my head, and somehow it ended up being dumber than I expected. <laughs> so. And I can always count on Blumhouse to do that for me too. Is just just lower the bar into the depths of hell and and just give me something beyond <laughs> stupid. And I I am completely yeah. miffed by the fact that basically every single critic said that this is just unwatchable direct, yeah, which is insane. Why 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 can't yeah why can't people have fun anymore? I I would take uh, Fantasy Island over any like A twenty four direct. Any day of the oh, week. Yeah. Give me, give me this over Midsummer if we're doing a twenty four. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> oh, there are a thousand I would, times. I would take Boomhouse yeah. Horror over a twenty four horror period, just like nine times out of ten. I'm sure. I I would tend to agree, and I mean this uh, movie. Excuse is... me, uh, podcast hosts. Uh, I, I don't believe you've seen uh, Saint Maud yet, so uh, <laughs> yeah. please please uh, hold your tongue until uh, you can truly assess the body of a twenty four's work. And we'll get to. We'll get to St. Maud. No, we'll get to uh, uh, the other side of 
um, you were kind of talking about these two sides of uh, Blumhouse Horror, and we'll get to that other side after, which I think also, just generally, when it takes that route, has a better batting average for me personally. But um, mm-hmm. but it's not about, you know, it's apples and oranges. Absolutely. I, I would so, agree. I, I, to me, like, I, I, the problem with this movie is that there was probably, like, one too many characters in the mix. Yeah. Like, it, it does get a little bit long in the tooth for a movie that is just airy and fun and and a movie that I had a great deal, uh, a great affinity for throughout. But it's it's pushing two hours, which is something Bluemouse movies don't tend to do. They're usually hew toward the 90-minute mark. And, and this could have stood to do the same, frankly. I, I For me, it was probably the soldier who I would have said, this is <laughs> fucking stupid to be in the movie. It didn't really add tag. anything. But yeah, it had its moments, like the end where the soldier dies for whatever reason and yeah <laughs> the uh the Montalban uh character uh, Michael Peña plays Ricardo Montalban in this by the way <laughs> he he just like hangs a picture of the soldier up on his wall yeah. like I don't know where the fuck this picture came from dude you guys you guys are so wrong about the soldier plot that's the best one because I I too have a fantasy of stolen valor so I I connected just just on a totally different level with his story <laughs> i i would say that the lamest one is the the super serious uh plot with it like the woman who wants yeah. to uh, remarry her lost love and then decides instead to save a man from a fire and it's like well yeah. this is all fucking no, heavy we're handed, all we're all, in, we're all interconnected man it's fucking 20 it's 21 grams over here yeah yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately you, you the script kind of needs that segment of the film <laughs> but they could have yeah, it, it is the unfortunate glue yeah, yeah but that's the issue like it didn't have to be the glue it, like you know you could have just structured it a different way without working towards that that idea of tying everybody together you know just keep it surface yeah. level as far as like why they're here and what the island does and mm-hmm. let drama or whatever play out or like the magical whatever stuff and the machinations from Pena. Uh, yeah. See, I, I don't mind. I, I kind of got a kick out of the absurdist, like <laughs> interconnected oh, yeah, of nature course. of the whole thing. Like it was just watching Fucking... the stupid uh, puzzle box nonsense. Yeah. It, when it's, yeah. when it's a, as rock dumb as this is, it, it's just kind of, of a joy <laughs> no it is it's great too because yeah it's it's a it's a real puzzle box it's it's like the kid who solved the rubik's cube by peeling the stickers off of the outside and just putting them back on in the correct order so yeah that's that's the kind of puzzle box we're dealing with here um yeah you know <laughs> the other element of this movie outside of uh our four main characters well i guess five but two of them share a fantasy uh, of those four fantasy segments is Michael Rooker stalking about the jungle. <laughs> I love yeah, that. that. That's <laughs> it's it's pretty great because they they pretty much were like, hey, remember like ten years ago when you when you had that character on Walking Dead? Just kind of like do that, but you're on an island now and you're a, <laughs> a private investigator slash mercenary. <laughs> <laughs> Every again like, this. Whatever the idea was for this movie initially, it it reeks of just producer notes, and it's awesome because the Rooker thing seems like it was just dropped in at the last second, and whatever that <laughs> character is doesn't fit with anything else. 
Um, it's like, hey, we got Michael Rooker. <laughs> The, the twist where, which, you know, if you want to see this and you don't want it spoiled, I don't know, fast forward or something. But the, the twist where the girl whose fantasy is torture, but that's not actually her fantasy. Her fantasy is, is something different and more deranged. Like, <laughs> none of that connects. Like, it's just totally divorced from everything else in the movie. And it's... It's it's like one of those like shitty Scooby Doo episodes where they unmask the villain at the end. They're like, you didn't see that coming. It's like, yeah, I didn't see that coming because it doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> well, so yeah, the entire plot of the movie is that these people are not getting their fantasies. Only Lucy Hale's character is actually getting her fantasy. And oh yeah. So her fantasy but still involves the other characters. Their fantasies? Yeah. Her character involves the other characters getting their fantasies for for no fucking reason whatsoever i mean wouldn't her fantasy just be like to to have them die what's the point of this elaborate fucking ruse yeah how is that your your fantasy is a, <laughs> a weird elaborate fantasy <laughs> that ties all yes. these people together I, it's it's nuts i want all of these people to die because they were tangentially involved in the death of a person i dated once but first i'd like them to live out their <laughs> fantasies and have them turn against them in twisted fashion yeah, which apparently, uh, yeah, I guess yeah. it's kind of mean, yeah. But also, we're led to believe that all of their fantasies get weird anyways. Like, that's the whole point of this place is you're probably not getting a good Yelp review, I guess. I don't I don't know. Like, I don't know. Is that the point of this place? Maybe, the, maybe it actually uh, is perfectly fine with the fantasies. And it well, just seems and, that and, way to us, the viewer, because these were never their fantasies to begin with. That's well, that's what I thought. Be, I, I mean, okay, so initially I thought, okay, like most of the time the fantasies are good, but this time it twisted on him or something, or because this woman's fantasy was so sinister, everything twisted on him. But then when Michael Rooker was talking about it, it's just like, I've been here for two weeks and I've seen some fucked up fantasies and everything's fucked up on this island. Ah! Like when well, he's doing that shit, I mean, then. Yeah, and I guess Montalban's fantasy didn't go so great either. No. His fantasy sucks. Everybody, no. I mean, there's, there's, nobody's happy here. No one's getting a good Yelp review. What? <laughs> huh. So I wonder then, it seems like Lucy Hale's fantasy is actually going pretty great. I wonder why that was. <laughs> yeah, I, no idea. None of this makes sense. Just don't, don't think about any of it. Just accept that you are on the world's stupidest thrill ride and, and let it wash over you with its, its beautiful serenity. That's what you need to do. Uh, but yeah, five stars, perfect movie. Uh, go and see it. <laughs> oh, wait. So here's the way to think about it. Perhaps our our protagonist didn't actually conquer the evil island Juju, but in fact they survived because the island was perverting Lucy Hale's fantasy that they die. So mm -hmm. because the island was twisting her fantasy, they didn't end up dying. That's possible. Why Blowing didn't your we mind, just... Huh? I, this this movie also spends an inordinate amount of time on a, uh, a a shitty built set that looks like it's out of fucking Legends of the Hidden Temple, where we see the like the ooze pool where the the fantasy magic comes from, and no one thinks to just completely wreck that shit and destroy Fantasy Island. That's that's never that that's something that crosses anyone's mind. That whole element was pretty ridiculous. In fact, like the the. Sinister magic forces of the island were often represented by the temple guards from Magic Legends <laughs> of the Hidden Temple. That's correct. It's I, it's completely bonkers. This is again, it's something that just needs to be seen. It's it's, yeah, it's a probably the, movie. the dumbest movie I'll see all year. And that being said, fucking five out of five. Go see it. Yeah.
100%. I, I hope that, honestly, like my, my greatest dream, my fantasy, is that 20, 30 years from now, Blumhouse is, is revered in the way that like people talk about Hammer now. And we get some extensive box set where there's just I, I need because, you know, this is just going to get some bare bones physical media release. I need behind the scenes footage. I need interviews with cast and crew. I need everything that went into this because it's just it's so goddamn dumb and I love it. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've found a, a movie that we're going to have to revisit for the podcast, I think, guys. Uh an early Wadlow joint is actually Cry Wolf, one of these uh, early aughts internet horror movies. I was completely unaware of this. I'm sure I've yeah. seen it at some point, but that, it's worth revisiting now with this now. What's that like? A, that's that's gonna be like a 2007, 2008, like uh, even like, earlier, 2005. Wow! So it's like it's like peak Saw ripoff then. Yes, yeah. Except with Great. some tech horror in there too, I think. Okay. Okay. So, so yeah, that's a great combination. Saw and the internet. That's that's really good. Yeah. I think it, we should just do more more internet horror, man. I I want fear. I want more fear. dot com in my life. There's the great fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> the man can do no wrong. <laughs> oh boy. Woo boy. Okay. So we talked a little bit earlier about the you know the, the two sides of of the blow mouse coin, which is. Just straight up balls to the walls, goofy, but with a mean streak. Truth or dare? Yes, the two sides of the coin. And then the other thing that they do is they do straight up horror, which is good and at times very effective, but also never like too self serious. Yeah, maybe that maybe that's the wrong way of putting it, but it's still fun. I guess is is what I'm looking for. And I always think back to, I mean, the the OG Blumhouse movie, uh, Paranormal Activity, which is, I mean, it's a straight-up horror movie, and your mileage may vary, but it was just, it was like the most fun theatrical experience that I've I've had, possibly. Oh, I don't know. When I saw John Wick and, uh, like, people were, like, actually, like, John Wicking in the theater, that was pretty cool. But maybe this is a, is a runner-up, but people were, like, literally losing their shit during paranormal activity, like a girl just started crying and then a, another girl like threw up. It was, it was fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the kind of thing, like when you, when you hear about like old, like William Castle movies where they put like plants in the audience to scare people. Like that was the kind of experience that I was having where I was like, are these people for real? Are they actually like freaking the fuck out because somebody ripped the sheets off of a bed and there was <laughs> nobody there. Ah, <laughs> So yeah, this this idea that they can, they can make serious horror, and it, and it's fun in a way because obviously paranormal activity it, it's it's derived it's, it's from the same DNA as you know like a Blair Witch, but Blair Witch is not a fun movie at all. It's um I mean it has its defenders and it's it's super fans, but for me it's it's kind of a grating experience. It's it's aggravating. Yeah, and that film was in the marketing. <laughs> I'm that film was marketed like like a William Castle movie. It was, it was marketed on Steve's theatrical experience. You know, you didn't see a trailer for paranormal activity that involved the film at all. It was just like, you know, reaction shots of the audience. It was, you know, come get scared and have fun. Yeah. You know, buy your exactly. ticket to the haunted house, <laughs> which is good. I, I, I mean, and that's the kind of marketing that I enjoy, especially with horror movies, where it's just like prime me for a ridiculous experience. I don't care what I'm going to actually see on the screen. Just like prep me for, yeah, going to the theater and having fun. 
because yeah, if if you watch Paranormal Activity in your living room, it's it's not it's not the same. It's not the same at all. So this kind of leads us into the other Blumhouse movie uh, from this past month, which is Invisible Man, and I guess this is part of the universal horror cinematic universe. Yes, because but I, I don't even know what that is at this point. So this isn't one where, you know, Jason Bloom's like, I'm just going to cut a check and buy an IP for funsies. <laughs> this is one where they they had the Tom Cruise mummy movie come out a few years ago, which got a pretty lukewarm reception. And I think initially they were going to put out, you know, oh, Invisible Man and Frankenstein and Dracula. And they're all, you know, interconnected in some way in this shared universe because everything has to be Marvel now. And they kind of scrapped that in favor of we're still going to do these but also we're not going to do one a year because everything is in development hell and also we've scrapped the idea of a shared universe. So originally, I think there there is some weird people attached to this. Like I think David S. Goyer like wrote the original screenplay and uh, who was attached to it? It's like Johnny Depp. Yeah, I, I think say. it was Johnny Depp as the Invisible Man. Yeah. Okay, okay. I mean, I so, don't know what connection that has to anything in this movie. I don't know how those scripts are probably vastly fucking different things. Yeah, ab- absolutely. So, Although maybe he would have been good as this is. abusive boyfriend, Invisible Man. I know. <laughs> he, that's, that's how all that developed. He was going method, and it just he took it over the edge. Um, yeah, so he was cut out of this because God only knows what Johnny Depp's doing with his fucking life nowadays. Um Drinking a lot and and having weird uh, Rolling Stone interviews done with him. That's that's pretty much all I've seen from him recently. Oh, and uh, Mordecai. We love Mordecai here in the podcast. <laughs> Big Mordecai heads over here. <laughs> uh, so what this ends up being is, I don't know. It kind of it, it kind of walks this line where you think it's going to be like super serious prestige horror, but then it it veers wildly into the territory of uh, uh, Lee Wannell. Is that how you say his last name? Lee Wannell's previous movie, Upgrade, where it's just like, okay, so for the last, like, 20 minutes or so, this is going to be an action film. And you're like, all right, cool, I'm along for the ride. Let's do this. Um, But basically, it's it's Elizabeth Moss, and she's in an abusive relationship with a, a gazillionaire, you know, uh, he does, like, optical science or something and it turns out oh he's a dick and she leaves him and after a few weeks uh, it's reported that he committed suicide but he didn't and now she thinks that he is invisible and he is um, either like haunting her in some way or terrorizing her and no one will believe her so it's uh, you know gaslighting the movie <laughs> that's that's pretty much long and short of it uh yeah. but but where it really shines i think is this is really well directed and not to say that like upgrade isn't but uh, the pacing is great and the way that they use negative space because they clearly don't have a visible villain for most of the runtime is incredible it's it's just really effective and really well done and it works as a good tense thriller and then by the time you get to the end and it switches over into an action movie you're like oh it's good at this too so i'm i'm great with everything that's happening in this movie it's probably the 
best 2020 movie I've seen so far, and I realize it's only March, but it's genuinely good. So there you go. <laughs> uh, it's worth mentioning that it was made for the same budget as Fantasy Island. Um, but uh, Fantasy Island obviously had a lot of like gimmicks and stuff to incorporate. Yeah. And this was just pretty much like buy or like rent out like a really nice house in the bay uh, and just be around there and buy this suit. Yeah. And then this suit, whatever. But yeah, I'd say like a quarter of the budget went to Elizabeth Moss. uh, Mm -hmm. A quarter of the budget went to the CGI for the suit. And then the rest is just everything else. That's that's pretty much where we're at. So good use of money, I'd say. I think um, it's similar to Upgrade for me in that uh, it's good, clearly like good and talented and stuff, but it's it's a frustrating movie for me. Um, and it's also similar to uh, Upgrade in that uh, I think we talked about Upgrade as being um, sort of RoboCop light. And yeah. this uh, takes from another Verhoeven movie, uh, The Hollow Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, which uh, is a movie that I watched. I rewatched after this and, and provided a nice sort of um, counterpoint on some stuff or, or sort of reminded me of the things that I was missing from Invisible Man. Like, I, I think the Invisible Man is like, it starts on this really nice set piece of her like leaving the place. Um, and well, first of all, there's, there's a lot of plot holes in the movie and it's one of those things you just kind of, Gotta kind of. Are you cinema sins now? <laughs> no, no. But like, I, 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 there, there's some small ones, and then there's some ones that's just like, make me feel like uh, it could just be better thought out. Like it undermine. I don't. I don't mean like. I, I think it's funny when she dumps like this, you know, twenty dollar bag of coffee instead of like a two dollar bag of flour. But I don't care. Uh, but then there are some stuff uh, where it's just kind of like. Just could have rethought the scenario, but I don't. I don't know. Anyway, the beginning is a nice set piece of her like leaving the place while he's asleep, and uh, it's made this very like Fincher like this like um, mid to late Fincher type of feel. It's very like steely and has these like yeah these long shots of her like scanning the frame, and uh, it's tense and just cool uh, color wise, like co- a cool palette. Um, and there's some good like jumps in there and whatnot. Um, but my big issue with, with this was that it didn't, uh, it didn't give us something outside. It didn't build the world around them very well. It was very self-contained in like her, uh, relationship with, uh, this invisible man, obviously, um, and her relationship with, uh, the man that she goes to stay with. Um, who's her friend and uh, stays with with him. He's a cop and his daughter. Um, and then her relationship with her sister. Um, that's the main thing is just like her immediate contacts is basically what this movie is. And I wanted more of what the rest of the world was. And uh, there's a point where, spoiler alert, um, if you don't know already, like there's this suit uh, that the guy is using and she kind of like finds that out and it, it it's like an interesting thing you know it's like reminded me of 
these sci-fi movies from the 50s where you like are in the lab you know you like go oh and this is how it works and it's played very straight um uh but it is inherently kind of goofy you know you're like all these beakers and stuff and then you're like yeah and then you put this together and it creates this suit whatever um i kind of wanted more of that and i was talking to my house afterwards of like the immediately jumped to my mind was like it needed a character like um michael kane in children of men which mm-hmm. like in that movie is played you know i mean he's like an eccentric guy but it's not like sort of it's not supposed to be goofy like he's still a very serious person carries mm-hmm. weight like i wanted something like that where she like she's trying to figure out more about how this is possible so she talks to this like professor at this college you know mm-hmm. like and then when i watched hollow man uh verhoven's hollow man which like the special effects are just awesome um unsurprisingly uh, but there's like so much time in the lab, like the whole movie's in the lab and it's just like satisfied that for me. And it's like, um, again, it's like, it's goofy, but it's played straight among mm-hmm. everybody. And it's very seriously. So I don't know. Those are a couple of things like, and also that within that, I don't, I wanted to know more about the relationship, like the, with the guy. I, I want to know more about him. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. I, I think for the sake of just, pacing because it's a very briskly paced movie they probably cut out a lot of that backstory just to focus in on everything and this is also the rare case too yeah yeah and this this is also the rare case where a a blumhouse movie is like super focused on one Mm -hmm. specific performance which is why i mean you couldn't just cast some usual rando like they normally do it's like oh this person was a right yeah a secondary character on a cw show and now they're in this movie you can't do that like this needed a a great actress and Mm -hmm. and they they nailed that down so i think that was a smart move um but yeah i i get where you're you're coming from where maybe there was it was a little bit too lean at points but also i don't know it's just it it, everything really clicked for me I, i really enjoyed it uh I, I do have as well. I have a a Hollow Man anecdote for you here. I didn't rewatch Hollow Man for this podcast. Thank you, Sean, for doing the the legwork there. But my pleasure. Uh, unrelated to the podcast, so I was I was like looking at Facebook and Facebook now it's just all your old relatives and then weird people you went to high school with or bad at the internet. And one of those weird people I went to high school with. She just posted, can someone explain Hollow Man to me? Like five question marks. <laughs> and some other person who I did not go to high school with, just some random person she's friends with, just commented and said, Kevin Bacon's invisible and he kills people. What the fuck else do you need? <laughs> Which, by the way, also if, a massive creep. I know. And at that point, I just want to reply and be like, please, please like and subscribe optimism vaccine podcast you are our audience thank you uh but yeah it was that it was just great because i was i was thinking about invisible man and and kind of doing some prep for the podcast i just saw that i just i absolutely fucking died laughing it's like he's invisible and he kills people what the fuck it's footloose but it's invisible it's murder what else, what do you need uh <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this is this is another one where if, if you haven't gotten around to seeing it i think this is the movie that's getting the uh, you know the acclaim. Uh, I guess you could call this uh, elevated horror. Uh, this is this is one that you need to go and see. Uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic. I mean, I, I'm a little I'm, I'm probably a hue closer to Sean on this one. I think it's uh, definitely worth your time. But I, 
found it myself kind of more academically interested than in, engaged by it, I guess. I, I found it to be really fascinating to consider in conjunction to uh, paranormal activity, as we were talking about, this sort of revisiting of this old theme, this mm-hmm. sort of foundation on which the studio was built. It felt like they were swinging back to it very intentionally. Like there's a lot of shots in this film that completely echo that film and uh, that style. And this is something I have kind of been looking for for a few years and it didn't entirely deliver for me, but, but someone kind of weaponizing that aspect of found footage, that sort of, you know, paranormal activity has a very unique way of, of tightening the wire on you where it's pointing a camera directly at a space and saying something is going to fucking happen here. And you know, what's going to happen here, but we're going to force you to look at it until it happens. And that's very uncomfortable. (laughs) And this movie is one of the few horror films I've seen take that sort of technique that is generally left in found footage and apply it to an actual cinematic experience rather than, you know, handy cam or security cam footage or whatnot. But it it is interesting in that way. And I, I like all the very seemingly deliberate nods to paranormal activity, but... I, I thought it also had pacing issues for me. Like I, I wanted the movie to really, I, I, I expected it to be, I, I really enjoyed that sort of escape scene at the beginning, but I, I post that I, I kind of wanted to get to know a little bit more about their, their sort of everyday life and the routine. It, it seemed like five minutes into that, the invisible man was showing up and fucking things up. And it, it was just like, you know, I, I needed like, 15, 20 minutes of regular life, you know, recovering from this incident, getting to know these tertiary characters before shit started going south for me. But And, you know, it isn't a short movie. I just think that the time could have been allocated a little better. Like the, the third act got a little flabby for me. I think um, uh, the issue with... The pacing for me was less about how it was paced and more about the fact that we just kind of like we knew what was going to happen and so like there are all these different like set pieces where they're playing around with the invisible man and what he's going to do um you know like whether it's the hallway with all these security guards uh or the rain or the, the attic all this stuff uh which is all fun to watch and i liked living in all those moments and sometimes the in-between spaces where not when she's just hanging out with family or whatever but or talking to the brother the the lawyer that stuff was fine but the stuff where you're about to like i don't know the the sort of the the yarn between uh these set pieces where you, you go okay now she has to go over here to this place and we we know that um she's just going to be continuing to be gaslit like it kind of i don't know it it just kind of felt a little tedious at points and the problem with that like is that the set pieces while they were good they weren't like that they didn't deliver like i want and all of this all of my complaints there's like this is obviously a very talented guy and i i like his movies and i want them to be better like i said it's just frustrating Mm -hmm. like um i was joking 
uh, with Myros that there's a shot of her when she goes back to the house um, and before she finds the suit where she's just like standing in front of the window and it shows the water outside and it looks just like a, it looks just like a, a scene from Heat and I, I thought it was funny and but that like I was thinking about Michael Mann and like sort of some of these set pieces because the, some of the palette work and whatnot and some of just like the uh, physical um, action and shortly after that she is there's this rain sequence outside the hospital where the invisible man is obviously in the rain somewhere and sh- and it's like sort of this duel and um it's just like so exciting because you're going okay cool there's going to be like some really interesting rain work where she's going to like find him through how the rain's falling and that turned out to be like a pretty big letdown for me as far as like potential like ceiling um, and what actually ha- ended up happening. And I was just thinking about like what like a Michael Mann movie like this sequence would be like, which would be like, well, Myros brought up a uh, Den of Thieves, like where you just have like this like long sequence where there's just like no dialogue and it's all just physical um, reactions and looking and just like the tension that builds up. And this scene kind of, gets uh, nipped in the bud pretty quickly and also like the resolution is just like standing under an open hatch i don't know it's just like the potential is there and he shows off this potential but i don't feel like i get to see it that much yeah even if you're not michael mann you can at least do the the paranormal activity tricks you know they they use them very sparingly in this film it 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 fools you it does this very deliberate camera motion, even early in the first segment where there was certainly no invisible man. There's, there's this part where she's, <laughs> it's movie magic where she's leaving. She's escaping this uh, beautiful house, but then the camera just takes a strange sudden pan over to nothing. And you're like, wait, what the hell? What's he doing here? But it, it wires your brain in a certain way. Yeah. And this, does this very well to an extent. I just wish it went a little further personally. Like, Mm-hmm. Paranormal Activity has that very deliberate setup where you cut to the overnight security footage and you're like, whoop, all of a sudden your eyes start darting around the screen looking for anything amiss. You know, you're you're just, you're waiting to see what the fuck is wrong here and what's going to happen. And this movie does that quite a bit and it, it doesn't pay off a lot with it. There's only, I can think of a couple really deliberate incidents, one of which was the well she goes outside because she hears the door open and and you see like the breath over mm-hmm. her shoulder and then there's a scene as well when she's cooking breakfast and the the, the knife goes missing and the her, they turn the oven up higher or whatever so it burns the food she's cooking but beyond that it, it's a lot of fake out stuff uh which is is fine i don't need it every second of the film but i, I just wish they utilized some of that visual flair a little bit more in a genre sense to, to scare me a little bit more. I like, if you're going to have a scene set in the rain with the invisible man, eh, pay it off. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, I mean, I, I got nothing for you. That's, I, that's all fair criticism, but again, well, it's good. Still, it's good yeah, movie. It's good. It's a good <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and it's, it, it's the kind of good movie where, yeah, it, it has its issues, but at least it wants you to think about them. <laughs> <laughs> it's and not it's the, I, driving me insane yeah, yeah for sure and it's the ideal type of like um dump you wary quote-unquote movie like this is like creme de la creme 
mm-hmm. of the of the genre stuff that we usually get as far as like stuff played seriously like um yeah but uh also like i mentioned this this was made at the same budget and uh worldwide it's almost hit a hundred million which is just like great to see uh that this this uh small budget horror film with like one female lead is like doing so much money like that's cool yeah which is why you're gonna be first in line to see black widow (laughs) well what other uh the uh what are the other universal things that they would make off this like um Fucking, I mean, what, Dracula and... Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Uh, What else, Wolfman, I guess? They could do Wolfman. Wolfman. That would be like the Jack Nicholson one. The Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins Wolfman. Is that a thing? I think that's a thing. I'm pretty sure it's a thing. I don't know if anybody saw it. Yeah, yeah, no, it was... uh, It it had a director, too. Mark Romanoff, the... Romanek, sorry, the guy... The one-hour photo photo guy. guy. Music video director, that was like his big follow up, and it turned into like a huge boon. Is it good? <laughs> well, that's great. Oh. Creature from the Black Lagoon. Come on, why not do that one? Yeah, this but is, regardless uh, of like I, I, the IP concerns, like, you know, that they, Boomhouse is just doing good shit, and they will be able to build confidence and, and have the, the confidence from Universal to put out shit like this. Why well, yeah. seriously, I'd assume that is what we're going to end up getting. I mean, I'm sure there's certain things they would rather not touch, like Frankenstein's dangerous text because it's such a oh, yeah. celebrated film to begin with. But uh, I would say you're going to see a lot more of these Universal monster movies in the hands of Bloomhouse now because this felt like a, a test balloon, if you will. Like they, yeah, a- for sure. After that mummy movie, you could universal was just like, we don't know what the fuck to do with this property. So I think the, they just kind of said, problem, see what you can do. Blue mouse. But even regardless of whether they're celebrated earlier versions or not, like just like Dracula and Frankenstein have so much lore. Like if they, if they did something like some urban version of them where it wasn't like, you know, the same track trappings and it was more of just like allusions to that text like this is that would be interesting Mm -hmm. guys we're we're forgetting something else too um you know not only did did we bury the wolfman with anthony hopkins but how dare we forget the james mcavoy vehicle uh victor frankenstein from 2015 oh yeah i don't Mm. think that was Mm. part of this was it (laughs) <laughs> I, I I don't think well, so. There is another movie so. that was a part of the the Dracula Untold. <laughs> mm. <laughs> that was that was the first attempt at launching the dark universe. Was uh, <laughs> oh that movie? It's going that, really well for him. <laughs> I can't I can't even remember who was in that movie. Uh, Luke Evans. Yes. <laughs> See this. Well, this is great too because they can keep trying and give it to more competent people because clearly we're all just forgetting about these things. So they just never happened. You know. That's that's what you got to remember. <laughs> To me, this is this is a really positive development that they're they're not trying to make the fucking Universal monsters into the Avengers anymore, and they're just gonna fucking kick it to Blumhouse to make weird movies. Good, yeah, it's good. That's that's the best best scenario, I'd say. Well, my favorite thing from these two movies was uh, the stupid tattoo joke in (laughs) in Fantasy (laughs) Island. Where, uh, again, if you haven't seen it, it's a spoiler, but it's not. Because these these brothers, they, there's two things that they talk about. Well, three things that they talk about the whole time. They talk about partying. 
They talk um, about how they're brothers. They remind you constantly that they are brothers. And the, the one brother, the younger brother, the Asian brother, it is mentioned like no less than 10,000 times that he's got a bad tattoo that he is embarrassed by. And it turns out he's got a little chest tattoo that says tattoo. And wouldn't you know, at the end of the movie, he stays behind on Fantasy Island. And Michael Pena says, I will call you tattoo. And, and there we go. It's just it all comes back around. Just a little Easter egg for you there. Uh, and the other, the other thing that came out of this viewing experience was when I was looking into the original Fantasy Island TV show and, and just kind of doing a little just top line research here about all this stuff that we're talking about. I was thinking to myself, whatever happened to old tattoo? What's what's he doing these days? He's and dead. <laughs> he's dead. That's the correct answer. And I figured he was. I'm like, Montavon's dead. Where's Tattoo? So the, Tattoo is, this is like the most tragic figure in the history of, of film. But he, <laughs> like, I guess towards the end of Fantasy Island, he raised a stink on set and was... And was just going all out and, and threatening to not do the show because he wanted to get paid the same amount of money as Roberto Montalban. <laughs> and the producers are like, absolutely not. And they fired him and replaced him with a woman. And then he just kind of fell into like a deep depression and like killed himself in the early nineties, which is very sad. Uh, and I was just like, God, this is, it's the most depressing story. If you go and just like, read about it you're like holy shit this is a bummer and then me and my stupid like rotten poison brain was just like man i bet some asshole's gonna try and make like a uh an oscar bait super serious drama about herve villaches <laughs> and and then we're gonna like oh we're gonna have to hear about all this again and it turns out that that's not a dumb joke that was in my head it's actually a real thing like two years ago uh the the guy who he wrote the terminal and what else did he do he did something else um oh he did anvil the story of anvil the documentary and he made a movie for hbo uh starring peter dinklage (laughs) called my Mm -hmm. dinner with herve about the tragic life of a fucking tattoo, and uh, yeah, it didn't didn't go anywhere. So, Oscar Bay didn't work out, but that's that's a movie that exists. If you want to see that, that's something you can do. But anyways, uh, let's let's wrap this one up, boys. So, Sean, what are you what are you putting over this week? Well, I have uh, spent the last week diving into some Spike Lee's that I some joints that I haven't. Uh, uh, ever seen um, there's a lot there and I still have a handful ahead of me but um, I think I started it off with um, <clears throat> When the Levees Broke uh, which was a four hour documentary he did uh, for HBO uh, about um, the post Katrina um, treatment of New Orleans residents uh, of the Ninth Ward and uh i obviously knew the subject matter wasn't light but i didn't quite know exactly what i was getting into and um it's uh, fucking phenomenal and so uh 
heavy and like it's very important stuff but, you know it has like sort of this um hoop dreams kind of architecture uh of like sort of pinning down all of um the problems of modern american society through like this small this not small thing but through one city and one particular uh time period in this case over over the case of like six months nine months um it just kind of just diagnoses all of these issues um and uh yeah it's it's pretty harrowing stuff but i i very very highly recommend it and it's not even though it's heavy stuff it's it's not like hard to watch you know spike lee has like mm-hmm. a great sense of humor and the the residents that talk um have a good sense of humor and all that stuff it's it's a lot of um talking heads um uh, but yeah it's it's really good stuff have have you gotten around to watching or rewatching clockers yet no that's that's coming up this clockers week. i i finally figured out like i've i've really struggled with spike lee movies over the years because like he does things sometimes where you're like oh my He's god weird. it's like the most brilliant shit i've ever seen and he does other things that just frustrate me yeah, to no end for sure and clockers for me i i just i just watched it last week and it's the perfect example of like my relationship with spike lee movies because there's times where i'm like this is so fucking brilliant and just one of the best things i've ever seen but then also the soundtrack is insane. It'd be like, imagine like you, you have a best friend who you, you absolutely love and you enjoy spending time with, but they're the world's biggest seal fan and they won't stop playing seal <laughs> like at maximum volume. And that's pretty much what this movie is. You're like, I, I love you, but this needs to fucking yeah. stop. I'm, I'm going to put a, a power drill into my ear. If you play seal one more time, just drowning out dialogue with seal. <laughs> I'm excited to, um, I'm excited to get to that one and find that, check that out. But it's funny you say that. Uh, I mean, I perfect, I know exactly what you mean as far as uh, how Spike makes movies. But um, one of the movies I watched was Red Hook Summer, and uh, some of these I'm just watching out of access, like easy access. And Red Hook Summer is just one that's streaming on a couple sites right now, and uh, didn't really know much about it um, or its reputation. But uh, thankfully, but. Um, yeah, it's just from 2012, and it's about this boy from Atlanta who goes to the to Red Hook in Brooklyn to stay with uh, his grandfather, played by Clark Peters, from The Wire, and uh, he's this uh, very devout like uh, uh, pastor, and it's just like it's it's two hours and fifteen minutes long, and like the first hour and a half is just like really bad, like made for tv children acting like i i would be interested for you guys to actually watch it because i can only imagine that you would just not be able to take the first hour and a half i I fucking hate child actors so yeah exactly (laughs) and it's shot on like this cheap video and um it's just kind of like the boy learning about uh church and stuff and just kind of like you know it has this ambivalence whatever and it's just like okay i get it like whatever and all of a sudden the last like 30 40 minutes is just like this turn that just like just like smashes you in the face and you're just like what and you it takes you a while to adjust and go like is this really good or like just 
I, it, it takes a while to process it, but it's worth watching just because you're kind of like, I don't, now you have to recontextualize what you just saw. I kind of um, thought that, oh, this is probably what it was like for a lot of people to watch 1517 to Paris. So like watch all this acting and be like, this is so weird. What the hell am I watching? And then be like, oh, well, I know that this is really good. <laughs> like once the yeah, train yeah. sequence happens, it's kind of like that, but in, in, in much different material. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Myros, what are you putting over? Uh, I don't know. I film most of my life with like videos of Jank Uger freaking loudly yelling affirmations at me about the election. But uh, <laughs> I is it is that how you say his name? Jank? I thought it was Jank. Sank. It's Jank. 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 Oh God. Okay. The guy's got a really square jaw. Yeah, he's kind of an idiot. But you know, you get what you 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 take what you can get. I guess. But uh, anyway, I found this uh, this guy on youtube named noah caldwell gervais who uh just looks like a 40 year old max fisher and makes insanely long and elaborate uh, video essays about video games that are in way way better than they have any right to be uh except he doesn't do more than a single take of audio and his audio quality Seems to be below ours generally, and uh, wow, you know, it's just, it's just <laughs> well, like there is hope for us. It's just like gameplay footage. It's not cinematic. It, it, there's no reason for it to be presented as video. If it was written content, you'd be like, well, this is the greatest uh, video game <laughs> reviewer of our time. But instead, he's on YouTube making very bizarre, incredibly long and undigestible uh, videos about various uh, subjects that are. Kind of interesting. I would I would recommend checking him out. I, I'm fascinated by what the hell this guy's doing. Huh. All right. I'll give uh, that. Well, that and that. I mean, again, it just gives me hope that despite all of our audio problems, we can we can still make it out there. That's great. Uh, <laughs> for me, I'm I'm putting over Escape from L.A., which is oh, a weird Jesus thing. Christ. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. I just watched New York. Yeah. For the first so. Time. I watched this. I probably watched this with you, Myros. Uh, like, I, I mean, I watched it like as a kid on TV because it was in constant rotation. But uh, I, I watched it uncut for the first time in probably like ten years, and it is infinitely better than I remember it being. And I think part of it is because my love for Escape from New York has only grown over the years and it's one of my all-time favorites now. And uh, this movie, it's so just goofy and cynical. And I think when I, when I first watched it uncut, I was just like, this is just like a shitty version of Escape from New York. There's, and it's got the worst CGI I've ever seen. But once you kind of wrap your head around it and, and just sort of go into it and say, okay... What if a studio was holding a gun to an acclaimed filmmaker's head and said, you had to make a sequel to this, and he said, fine, and he just basically made a parody of one of his greatest movies while thumbing his fucking nose at, at the studio, and that's exactly what this is. It's, it's super cynical. It is ridiculously goofy. It's so over the top. Um, it, it's not a perfect movie by any stretch, but it is just so wildly entertaining. And I think I'm finally starting to come around to the idea that really bad CGI can actually be really good. And I wonder if this is what people thought about like 
you know, when, when people are like, oh, you know, practical effects from like the, you know, the, the golden era of cinema, they're so like charming now and they look better than CG and all this stuff. I think this is my point where I'm breaking through on bad CGI and I'm fully embracing it because I, I can't even begin to express how bad some of this shit looks. Yeah, Just, I would have had it highly rated as probably the worst looking movie of maybe the entire 1990s. Yeah, it and it absolutely is. But it works so well. It's just fucking hilarious how bad it looks, uh, especially now in, in stunning high definition. When I say bad, I mean just how it, it looks cheap. It looks really cheap. But it's great because, if, if again, if you contextualize it in this is him saying, like, fuck you, I'm making a stupid movie. It's amazing. It's it's so much fun. It's just it's good. Huh. Go go drink six beers and watch this and tell me it's not the best day of time you're gonna have on a random weekday night. To, uh, it's it's one of the few carpenters that I know I will watch that I that I have uh, yet to get to. So I'm sure I'll get to it. Well, I think Scream Factory has a special edition coming out in April. So I don't. You'll probably get like oh, a press yeah. screener for that. And if you don't, yeah. uh, I would I would recommend picking it up because it's cool. uh, it's great genuinely awesome so and i always like when i can revisit something that i previously was you know negative towards or at least lukewarm on and be like yeah okay i get it now so for sure yeah that's uh that's my put over for this week if you enjoy what you're listening to right now or even if you don't do us a favor there is a link in the description below this podcast click on that link it'll take you to our itunes page give us a five-star review and a written review please i am begging you and the reason is is because the more reviews we have especially the good ones uh better we are treated by the magical algorithm on iTunes and hopefully we'll get more listeners and we can do more cool shit for you guys so make sure you do that uh, if you would like to uh, tell us we're shitheads and tell us why A Quiet Place is the best movie ever made and A24 makes great films and we're assholes for constantly talking about you know things like Fantasy Island uh, you can go ahead and email us optimismvaccine at gmail.com or if you want to yell at us directly you can find me on Twitter or Letterboxd at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C-U-F-F. Sean, where can we find you? Letterboxd at Sean Glennis. There you go. And uh, Myros isn't on the internet, but he spends every waking hour just refreshing the inbox on the on the Gmail, waiting waiting to reply to you, dear listeners. So make sure you take care of that. Uh, and that, that pretty much wraps things up for this week, I'd say, right? No, no, mm -hmm. uh, no plugs? Yep. You're not doing and, any live shows, Myros? And no one here to give the final word. And no one here to give the final word. I got the final word, and it's fuck you, Jake. <laughs>